<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello and welcome to The Parting Shot, your dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Allen Scott. Okay, before I tell you anything about the actor Josh Gad, let me first start by saying how incredibly nice he is. You see, a lot of times when I do an interview, it's a little awkward, and I get it. They rarely know who I am, and of course I know their work, but I don't actually know who they are. But every once in a while, I do an interview, and right from the beginning, it's like the conversation is with an old friend. Thinking back on past interviews, that happened with Jamie Lee Curtis, Tiffany Haddish, Kiki Kwan, Melissa McCarthy. Honestly, it doesn't happen all that often, but go back and listen to those interviews, because they were great. Which is why today's chat with Josh Gad was so exciting, because it's that kind of interview. Now, if you aren't familiar with Josh Gad, that's okay, but let me tell you this. You know who he is, because if you didn't see him on Broadway in his star-making turn in the Book of Mormon, then you certainly heard his voice in Disney's Frozen. You know that song, Do You Wanna Build a Snowman? I don't know why I sang it like I was on Broadway. Well, it's about him. He's the snowman. Okay, well, his character is Olaf. And now I'm going to have Do You Want to Build a Snowman in my head all day. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, you definitely know who Josh Gad is. Now, for a theater geek like myself, Josh Gad is royalty because his partnership with Andrew Reynolds in the Book of Mormon was legendary. We're talking the stuff of Broadway history. And that pairing goes down with some of the most iconic pairings in Broadway, like Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick in The Producers. And I talked to Josh about the influence that The Producers had on him, and it's an amazing story. Or even, dare I say, Angela Lansbury and B. Arthur and Mame. I mean, I love them together. And Josh and Andrew are just the perfect pair together. And theater geeks like me are getting the one thing that we've been wishing for ever since the Book of Mormon. The two of them back on Broadway together. Right now on Broadway, you can see Josh and Andrew in Gutenberg the Musical. It's a super silly show that's about two guys who spend all their money to put on a show about Johann Gutenberg, you know, the one who invented the printing press. The kicker is they don't have much money and they don't know much about Johann Gutenberg. So over the course of the show, Josh and Andrew play every part wearing different hats to indicate the character they're playing. It's silly. It's absurd. It's everything you want to see in a musical with Josh Gad. And we talked about how nervous Josh was to do this show because it's his first time back on Broadway since the Book of Mormon. He told me he felt the pressure to pick the right show. Well, that anxiety paid off because Gutenberg the Musical is exactly the show Josh Gad needed to return to Broadway with. Now, before you listen to this chat, I need to set something up for you. I usually cut out the little small talk with someone I'm interviewing, you know, the things that happen at the beginning of the chat. But Josh and I bonded over Sean Hayes and his incredible and Tony-winning performance in Goodnight Oscar. And just, we had a love fest for Sean Hayes. And I really felt like you needed to hear it because I think more people need to have a love fest about Sean Hayes. And I know Josh agrees with me as well. So go on and grab a snack because I'll be right back with Josh Gad. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. 
CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello. There we go. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm very jealous of your setup. You're like literally, it looks like we're getting ready to do like smart list. <laughs> I, I wish. I wish we were getting ready to do smart list. <laughs> I do love Sean. Oh my God. I love Sean so much. Sean is one of the people, one of the nicest. I mean, I interview a lot of people and this is not to put pressure on you, but one of the yeah, nicest. I'm going to be a dick. <laughs> when I interviewed Sean, it was early in the pandemic and we had, we were both sort of doing things and he was just so nice and so lovely in figuring out zoom and the audio every, I mean, he was just it was the calmest moment with a celebrity I think I've ever had. It was it was very nice. And he happens to be just one of the most yeah. ridiculously talented human beings alive. I didn't know that he was like a concertable pianist. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, I did know that because I remember this is the young gay boy in me. He <laughs> he was he he did a film called Billy's Hollywood Screen Kiss. And I remember seeing it and becoming a oh, I remember I yeah. remember that. It was his first I don't, I don't film. think I ever saw it, but I remember I remember that movie coming out. It was it was a thing that was right before Will and Grace. And I remember being like, this guy is good. And I remember looking into him in like the 90s. So there was no like Internet really. There was. But I couldn't like figure out how to research him. And I found out he was like a big time pianist. Remarkable. I know. It was so freaking mind blowing. Yeah. When he does Rhapsody in Blue, my jaw was just like on on the floor. I was like, okay, Yeah. yeah, Yeah. All right. Totally. Well, we should make this interview in completely about Sean Hayes, shouldn't we? I mean, should we? Just I think do that? I think so. It yeah. feels <laughs> unexpected in a really refreshing way. <laughs> well, the show is I've, I've spoken with Andrew about the show months ago, but before you guys even really started this run. And I've been excited about it ever since. I am a former, um, you know, improver from New York. I loved everything about the the sort of gestation of this show and how yeah. it came out of the People's Improv Theater, which is where I did a lot of my early stuff. And it, it just it's so exciting that it's finally on Broadway. How exciting is it for you? Well, it's exciting beyond measure for a number of reasons. First of all, it's it's my first time back on a Broadway stage in over a decade um, since Book of Mormon. It's a return to the stage with um, a person who literally makes me better every time uh, I'm I'm on screen or uh, on stage next to him. And that's Andrew Rannells. And it's a script that, you know, for many reasons uh, kind of fell into my arms at a time in which I wasn't expecting and, and had become a little cynical about like what was going to be the thing that brought me back to the stage. Mm -hmm. Cause I, it wasn't for lack of trying. I just hadn't found the right thing to follow, you know, Mormon. And, and it, it, I had looked into doing funny thing happened on the way to the forum. I had looked at, and nothing felt entirely right. And then Alex Timbers, the the brilliant uh, director, um, calls me one day and he goes, look, I know we've been discussing form, but as we're dealing with sort of the rights issues on that, have you ever heard of Gutenberg the musical? And I said, 
no, I, I haven't. He goes, um, all right, there's a show that I directed off Broadway. It was one of the first shows I ever directed, 2006. I'd love for you to read it and listen to the music. And I was like, okay. I, what I didn't say to him is, I'm very skeptical of anything called the musical because yeah. it just feels slight and it yeah. feels like a little, little silly. Yeah. And it and it just doesn't feel like anchored in like a way that I sort of, you know, want like scope and like mm-hmm. so I was I was very hesitant and I was also like off Broadway and do you know, do I want to, you know, do a show that's kind of already been out there? So I read the script with great skepticism. Uh, very glass half empty read of the script. Mm-hmm. And despite all of my initial protests, I was so floored yeah. by, by how effortlessly funny it was. And it also, even though it would go on a much longer journey to really come into the version that we've created now, it, it, it's heart mm-hmm. was immediately transparent. Like it's heart was just in the right place. And I, um, I, I listened to the music, uh, sung brilliantly by the original stars, uh, Mr. Fitzgerald and Seamus and, and was just floored by how good the songs were. So I called Timbers back and I said, okay, I, I, I would pursue this at least to hear it out loud, but I would want to do it with only one person. And that's Andrew Rannells. And he said, well, I'm glad you said that because I sent the script to Andrew too. And I was like, you fucker. Of course you did. <laughs> playing both so, ends. Playing both ends. Yep, yeah. Play, played us both. <laughs> yeah. So we get together with the creative team, Scott Brown, Anthony King, T.O., our, our, our music supervisor, and Alex. And over the course of a five-day period, otherwise known as a week, yeah. <laughs> um, we uh, did this you know, workshop of it just for the five of us in a rehearsal space in Southern California. And we all just were like, this is really, this feels really right. Mm -hmm. I think let's, 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 let's take the next steps. Yeah. That was March of 2020. I was going to ask, literally two days later, the world shut down. Yeah. So that put the pause button and then it became out of sight, out of mind, mm-hmm. you know, life caught up and, and sort of just forgot about it. And then late last year, Alex calls us up and goes, look, there's real interest in you guys um, doing this on Broadway. Mm-hmm. W- what are your thoughts? And I said, you know, I kind of struggled with it because I it, w- it it's, it's always going to mean a personal sacrifice of leaving my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, because my girls are older now, they're in school. I don't want to disrupt their social lives. So I was like, well, it would have to be sort of a limited run and it would have to be in a window where Andrew and I could realistically do it. Mm -hmm. And sort of completely understood. And they said, we can make that happen. We said, all right, let's do one more reading, see how it feels and then go from there. So at this point, uh, Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams had come aboard to produce we went to their offices. We did, um, you know, another version of it with music stands. And once again, it just jumped off the page. And we were like, yeah, we got to do this. And so here we are. I can imagine, because when you come from something like the Book of Mormon, and then you have the career that both you and Andrew have had over the separately over the past 10 years, 
I'm not one to be like, I have to live up to everything I've done previously in my career. But like, it must put a lot of pressure to sort of like pick a musical that you think is going to connect with your audience. Because I mean, I feel like there's like high expectations in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? It a hundred percent that pressure, whether it was valid or not, was very uh, much a weight that I carried making this decision mm-hmm. and started to become a sort of Damocles. And I and I got a little tired of having to compare every decision that I was going to make to Book of Mormon because yeah. I, I finally realized nothing's ever going to be Book of Mormon. And that's OK. Mm-hmm. Like, stop trying to make like Book of Mormon is a once in a generation thing. Yeah. Right. It, it, it happened. It's, you know, I, to, to my understanding, the last musical comedy to do what it did and transcend the genre and, you know, be running for over uh, a, a dozen years now. Yeah. And that that's just like, you're not going to replicate that. So why are you trying? And in a way, I didn't want to replicate it. I, I wanted something new. I wanted a different challenge. And Gutenberg, for me was sort of the culmination of everything Andrew and I had learned post Book of Mormon, mm. doing what we've been doing. And it gives us a chance to come back and flex our muscles comedically in a way that is so, it, it's it's both familiar to those of us who, to those who fell in love with us in Book of Mormon, yeah. but different in that it's it's a whole different type of comedy than Book of Mormon, even though they're both laugh out loud raucouses. And and that felt really uh, that felt like a nice challenge. And that felt mm-hmm. really exciting. That's what I was going to ask. How is Gutenberg? I mean, it's a comedy and it's a, it's sort of like a slapstick comedy. But how did how is it different from Book of Mormon? And what can people expect when they what, what differences can they expect from it? Well, the, the, the differences start with the conceit of the musical Book of Mormon is is ironically a very traditional musical. Yeah. Like it's yeah. it's part of why I think it works so effectively is because. Trey and Matt and and Bobby Lopez, obviously, were all students of musical theater. You know, there's a reason that Stephen Sondheim called Team America the best musical of the decade that it came out. And and I I think that with this going into it, it's a completely different type of show in that the, the conceit of the show is these two guys are doing a one night only stage reading uh or workshop of this thing that they've written about Johann Gutenberg, the inventor of the printing press. They've spent every last penny they both collectively have to rent the theater, buy some lights, and put on the show playing every single character themselves by using 120 hats to distinguish between each character. So right off the bat, you have this very sort of meta-entry way into this Mm -hmm. that is fundamentally different than book of mormon which sort of plays off the expectations of the tropes of those kind of buddy comedies and takes you on a journey that is broadway adjacent this is really like through the looking glass this is like you are coming into it and the audience is watching these two guys who have no business being on stage let alone doing this suddenly do a show that literally could not possibly be dumber in that like it doesn't answer any factual questions about Johann Gutenberg, but you somehow fall in love with them Mm -hmm. and therefore you fall in love with the version of the story they're telling 
And, you know, the theme of the show is really dreams, right? It's about dreaming. There's a great song at the end of the show called We Eat Dreams that's really tender and very sweet. And the whole show is about will these guys be able to see their dream to fruition? Mm. And and at a certain point, you start the show. It's it's a very interesting case study where you watch you watch everybody at the beginning of the show sort of leaning back in their seats, laughing, going, what the hell is this? To by the end of the show, leaning forward and sometimes tears in their eyes. Because they're so oh, that's overwhelmed the best musical. Joy. That's the best type and, of musical, and and that's the that's the magic sauce of this. Yeah. It's it's a really beautiful and profound thing. That's wonderful. I mean, I I live in L.A. now, but I miss that about going to New York musicals is having that moment of like, what am I about to see? And then by the end, you're like, oh God, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just it's such a wonderful. And this what, has that in spades. It really does. Oh, what 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 was it about Bud that you responded to? And if you could tell me a little bit about your character too. Yeah, so originally, um, they on day one, they posed a question to us. You know, which of you wants to be Bud? Which of you wants to be Doug? And a part of the decision-making came down to um, what characters does Bud get to play? What characters does Doug get to play? Yeah, of course. And, you know, I, I've often compared Andrew and my comedic stylings to an Uzi and a sniper rifle. Yeah. Uh, m- me being the Uzi <laughs> and um, there's always collateral damage in our comedy either way. But <laughs> I, I, I sort of felt like Bud offered more of that kind of, you know, scattered chaos that I, that I sort of love to tap into. Mm-hmm. And what's so brilliant about Andrew is he's, he's always the anchor. And it felt like he needed to anchor the show by playing uh, Gutenberg. And so, and 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 what Andrew does so effectively is he does, he he plays, he plays that sort of like arrogance in such a winning way Uh that you can't help but fall in love with him. Yeah. And, and Gutenberg just exudes that arrogance and he just does that better than anyone. (laughs) And then in terms of Bud and Doug, what I love about Bud is he's sort of the naive one of the two. He's the one who's kind of going along with what Doug is encouraging him to do, but he's not as sure-footed as Doug. And I always love playing those characters. You know, it's 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 Olaf. Like there's something about naivete and and being a, a kid. And I think I'm I'm a kid at heart that really fascinates me with those types of characters Mm -hmm. so for both of those reasons i fell in love with with bud yeah i one of the things that i i find so fascinating i mean i'm i'm a fan of just musical theater in general and like i'm obsessed and i talked with andrew about this too that there aren't many iconic duos on broadway that you can like point to and be like those two need to always be together i'm thinking like you know, Matthew Broderick and my hero, Nathan Lane, and like, you know, or even like Angela Lansbury and B. Arthur in a way. Like there yeah. are like there are just duos that like you just can't unsee them together. And you and Andrew are kind of like that. When I first heard of this musical and I heard you two doing it, I was like, Oh, this is what I've been waiting for. I want the producers, but with, you know, <laughs> you and Andrew. And like and this kind of has that feel to it. Have you guys been getting that comparison to you and Nathan to Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane? We really, we really have. Um, 
to the point that like people have asked us if we would ever do a revival of the producers, the, the answer to which is no. Um, <laughs> Matthew and Nathan are also our idols. Yeah. And so like, I don't think it's a fair comparison because I think that we are, we still have a ways to go to be in the same orbit as those two legends. Um, and, and, Seeing the producers, I'll, I'll tell you, I went to go see the producers when I was at Carnegie Mellon. I was so desperate. I had no money. And I somehow was able to, like, pull out the last $100 in my bank account. And, like, a young, naive schmuck, I'm walking through Times Square, and tickets were not available. This was close to the opening. And I... um a guy comes up to me and he goes, tickets to the producers, orchestra seats. And I go, yeah, he goes a hundred bucks. So I give him the hundred and he goes, I got to go get the tickets. And I'm like, well, no, like <laughs> I'm not, I can't just, he goes here, you hold my walkie talkie. I'll come back and I'll, you have something. He disappears oh, never to be heard from again. I have a walkie talkie, <laughs> a plastic walkie talkie with no batteries. Oh, and I am so devastated. <sighs> and I go to, um, the uh, ticket booth and I'm crying and I tell them the story and they're like, Oh, you poor thing. They go, well, you're in luck. Cause we have a cancellation. It's $150. And I was like, Oh God. So I call up my mom and I was like, can I put this on the credit card? <laughs> said yes. And I went to see it and it transformed my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and you know, to get those comparisons is, you know, it's, it's such a, um, an out of body experience because I remember seeing Nathan and funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Yeah. And that's what made me fall in love with musical theater. I remember seeing he and Matthew and the producers and being like, this is, this is the greatest thing I'll ever see in my life. So when you hear people say that about us, it really humbles me because it just, Andrew and I, it makes us feel like, you know, our work matters and mm -hmm. to, to even be in the same breath as those two means that we're doing something right. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's a true honor. You're definitely doing something right. And that story about the producers reminded me, I think we're probably around the same age because I had in New York a very similar experience being flat broke, desperate to go to the producers. And I accepted a date with an older man who had been pursuing me just because he said, I have Gotta tickets to the producers. Yeah. And I went and I did it. I Love did it. it. Yep. And I saw the producers yep. and it changed me. And it was, I never it, saw it, him it, again, it but I saw the producers. <laughs> it was such an, uh, it was such an incredible transformational yeah. experience. Well, like, and there is something about like preparing for a show. I mean, your return to Broadway. I can't even, I, sometimes going to a party is too much physical endurance for me. I can't imagine not being on Broadway for 10 years and then returning to a, a, a musical on Broadway for you. Like, how do you, how do you prepare, but I guess kind of like even physically, but also just sort of mentally to keep up with the stamina, even though it is a limited run, keep up with the stamina of doing a Broadway musical every night. You know, well, let's, 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 let's get something out of the way. This show is 20 times harder for me than Book of Mormon was. Wow. We don't leave the stage once, except for intermission. We are each playing a dozen or so roles. We have over 120 hats that we have to account for and wear at some point in the show. 
we are our own crew and we are doing choreography that is supposed to infer that we are actually a cast of 30. And the show is so physically challenging. And my, my vocal coach once said to me, the hardest job, the hardest thing about doing Broadway is staying well enough to do Broadway. Mm. And it's, um, it's really accurate. My, uh, you know, right now, my, my knee and my ankle are completely wrapped. I just got done getting acupuncture (laughs) every day. I do 40 minutes of, um, stretching and then I do a 50-minute vocal warm-up. And that's basically my day. I live, breathe, and eat Gutenberg. And and that, that was a, a part of why it took me so long to come back is because I remember the sacrifices. And it's the, it's the hardest part about doing this thing is, you know, you, you, you really put it all out there in a way that is uh, oftentimes – debilitatingly draining when I get off the stage I want to collapse I'm covered in sweat and I'm out of breath and my body is like uh but what brings me back is that relationship with the audience and that joy that is contagious when you see them sit up in their seats and stand up at the end and just be so moved and so excited and so grateful um there's no there's nothing there's nothing more addictive, uh, yeah. you know, as a performer than, than getting that kind of response. And so it's worth the pain and mm-hmm. the, uh, the endurance test that I'm putting myself through because it's the, the end seemingly justifies the means. Well, and I, I mean, I hate this phrase, but like post COVID theater is, it's a new Broadway in a lot of ways. And there's lots of new things sort of the struggles that come with it, but also the exciting things that can come from like original shows and trying to do something new and really invent stuff. So like what has the post COVID sort of Broadway experience been for you? And have you seen, is it different now than it was when you were last on Broadway? Audience habits have definitely changed. Um, Yeah, it's very different. I think a part of why I'm so grateful to be doing Gutenberg right now on Broadway instead of in 2021, which we had originally looked to do it, is the show is a love letter at its core to musical theater. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. It's just like a, it is an uncynical, like just pure, full-throated endorsement of why we love musicals and musical comedies. And so that part of it has been really interesting because the relatively few audiences that have thus far seen it. We've done two and a half weeks of previews that you see that you see that sort of like, God, I forgot how much I love theater response. And that's been really beautiful to watch. Um, You know, I, I, I think it, it was definitely, I think tourist habits have changed, Mm -hmm. you know, from what I understand, a lot of people now come to New York and they're, they don't see five shows anymore. They basically come in, they see one or two shows and those shows are usually staples and then they leave. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, encouraging audiences to, to, to go see a, a Sondheim show or go see, you know, an original musical like Gutenberg is, is definitely harder than it used to be. And, you know, um, audiences are, are a little bit more loosey goosey in terms of like etiquette. Like it's been really funny the other day, somebody, put their play somebody in the front row literally rested their playbill on the stage where Andrew and I were dancing. And I was like, my God, 
Um, but you know, in general, it's still the same love affair that that yeah. it always was. Yeah, that's wild. That's really wild. Well, like the one thing from Book of Mormon I remember because I was I was living in New York when Book of Mormon was there, and I saw it, and I loved it, and it was everything. But I am a former Mormon, and so when the Book oh, of Mormon I- came out. Uh, everybody would talk to me. It was also at the same time, too, the Mormon church was doing this thing where they would have ads on top of, like, cabs and stuff in New York being, like, showing, like, cool Mormons. You remember that? Like, By the way, they, they took out a, a a big center page in our uh, playbill. Yeah. And to my knowledge, it's still there. Mormons, the Mormon church really sort of responded to the church or to the musical in a positive way yeah. in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, it was very they, endearing and interesting. They love advertising. But I... It, I wanted to know, like, what sort of response to because you've gone on to do much bigger things and you've, you know, you've had a much bigger career since Book of Mormon. How do people still respond to you about Book of Mormon and talk with you about Book of Mormon? And what sort of responses do you get to this day? It's wild. I mean, you know, there's an expectation that when you do a show, because of the virtue of just the numbers, right? Like you can only get 1,200 people a night in that theater. So relatively speaking, not a lot of people saw me in Book of Mormon. Yeah. When you think of like, when you think about like a movie like Frozen, for instance, or something like that, in comparison to other things I've done that are ubiquitous by virtue of, of you know, the medium, Book of Mormon was a very intimate experience for you know, a couple hundred thousand people who got to see it while I was in it. Um, if that, and yet not a day goes by where somebody doesn't come up to me and tell me how much that show and my performance meant to them. Mm-hmm. And that's wild. Uh, you know, you, you see it happen with shows like Hamilton or with shows like, um, dear Evan Hansen, where, um, actors break out in in a way that just doesn't seem traditional because it's like you know it's not a medium that that translates to stardom usually yeah and yet in in that case it really did lead to stardom for both Randalls and i and and uh i am forever grateful for that um experience and and that unbelievable roller coaster ride well my last question for you is um I need the campaign for the Tony between the two of you to be the most absurd and obnoxious campaign. I want it to be I, either you can campaign for one Tony shared together or I feel like I mean, I'm not in your publicist team. I, I, I can speak with them, perhaps. But I think you need to create the most ridiculous campaign for the best actor in a musical Tony. I think that's that needs so to funny. Um, Andrew and I are both uh, Tony losers. It's a yes. very uh, rarefied category to be in. Uh, and uh, we're uh, we haven't gotten so far as to th- thinking about that in a way. I'm so grateful because, man, is that whole experience so stressful. And that's going to be happening long after I'm done. Yeah. So I'm like, peace out. Uh, <laughs> but but I will definitely take that to heart. Please. I want something ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Oh, reg- regardless, it'll it, I'm sure it'll be ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing about this show that isn't ridiculous. So well, yeah. I would imagine that that would It's in the spirit of the show. <laughs> comport to the same standards. Totally. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really do appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. Lovely yeah. lovely to chat. I hope I was in the same ballpark at least as Sean. Oh. But if I you, you're definitely high up. You're high up there. Don't okay, worry. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> 
I'm not. I know I'm not going to transcend him, but at least I'm in. You know, I'll DM him and say, "You're still better, but Josh was coming close to you, Sean." <laughs> Thank you. I'm honored. Awesome. We'll have a great rest of your day, and good luck on everything. Thank you. You too. Great chatting. What did I tell you? Josh is great. And let me know if you have, do you want to build a snowman in your head all day now, too? Um, you can let me know at H. Allen Scott on everything. And thanks for listening to Newsweek's Parting Shot. I hope you're able to leave a little rating and review wherever you're listening to this podcast. It really does help. And for the latest news and podcasts, go to Newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all the social platforms. And while you're there, subscribe to my newsletter for the culture. It comes out every Tuesday and Thursday, and we're doing really, really fun things. Until then, watch something fun and have a great day. Hold up. 